Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the founder of Fish on First, providing complete coverage of your Miami Marlins. Entering our first full week of this independent operation, formerly known as Fish Stripes, now Fish on First. It's going to be a while to get everybody caught up on that, and, and me myself, it's going to take a while for me to make sure we get this operation up to speed and delivering the kind of coverage that you expect. But we have all the usual people that came along with me for this journey, touching on all the same stuff that we were previously doing. So if you enjoyed that stuff, good news. And if you were looking for ways where we can improve, that's even better news because this is the perfect opportunity for me to receive feedback from what people want from this new outlet of ours covering your Marlins middle of the season. That includes the continuation of the official show here on our podcast channel. Are many other podcast offerings available here, most of them in video form, all of them in podcast form. You just look for Fish on First wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us there. Leave a rating and review wherever applicable over there. And if you're watching on YouTube, please leave a like on this video. That helps us with the algorithms and share this far and wide so people know what we're doing over here. I have been extremely satisfied and humbled by the feedback we've gotten about these, this transition and everybody pulling for us and wanting what's best for us to cover the Marlins the way that we already have been, but now with a whole lot of possibilities open for us. For those that have been wondering how they can support Fish on First moving forward as this independent outlet, yeah, the easiest first step, actually at this particular moment, you can do it on YouTube. I'm getting it set up in a matter of moments on both our new Twitter account and as well as on the website itself, become a super subscriber. We're going to keep it at $3 a month, just like it was before. That gets you into subscriber-only giveaways. It gives you priority to speak on our weekly Twitter spaces and to be selected to appear as guests on our live streams, talking all things Marlins. It includes access to our full GIF database. That is still coming with us. Hundreds and hundreds of GIFs of former current Marlins players, as well as non-player personnel that you can save and use at your own discretion, daily game notes for the Marlins during the season, some tips that we don't put publicly, that we tease it to, a follow, to our super subscribers before anybody else, all that. I think it is a, a really good deal. I was considering bumping up the, uh, the price with this transition, but I, I want to keep it at the value that it already was. And we'll look into other ways to, um, if you're in a really giving mood, you could actually do this on multiple 
platforms. You can become a super subscriber on YouTube and Twitter and our site, and we'll you could like double or triple pay if you want to. But we'll look for other creative ways um, to partner with people that really believe in our coverage in order to put your dollars to good use as a as a Marlins fan. I hope you guys consider it if you aren't already subscribed to it. So without that. With that being said, we should get to the pod, and we need to keep this pretty quick just because I have so much back-end stuff to do with this new site to, to keep it going. Um, we have some pending Marlins roster moves to discuss at the end of the show. For the bulk of this, we'll talk about Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler, who has been on a heater this past road trip. How many home runs did he hit? He had home runs in five consecutive games during this road trip, and then overall six total on this road trip. For the Marlins, an indispensable player, and even before that, it wasn't just about this recent stretch. For really most of this 2023 season, the first third of the season, that's exactly where we are here on Memorial Day. He's been excellent. He's been one of the most valuable players on this entire team. You look at it in the aggregate, and even including last year, that was his first year with the Marlins, you can make the case that he has been one of the very best free agent signings that the Marlins have made in a long Long, long time. Just so you could see this full picture here, he is a stat cast darling near the top of the heap in his max exit velocity. You knew you were getting that with Solaire. This year, he's just been a really good overall hitter. The slugging has been off the charts, and he's even gotten, by most measures, a little bit unfortunate with some of that slugging. You would have thought, this is finally, this recent stretch is some of that luck catching up to him and finally getting the results he deserves because he's done a great job getting the ball in the air, hitting it as hard as ever, getting it on the barrel almost as much as anybody in baseball, still striking out quite a bit, but not quite as much as his career norms. There's been a little bit of improvement there. There's just enough athleticism as a base runner and as a fielder to make him viable. Um, There was a stretch, especially in April, where I was wondering, is he a full-time DH all of a sudden? And that has some of its consequences on a roster, no matter how well you hit. That's why it's been so encouraging to see recently where, especially on the road, he can play the outfield almost every other day for this Marlins team. Really allows them to fill out the rest of the roster with complementary pieces in that regard. It makes him just more valuable overall. So you look at his overall numbers as a Marlin, you need to include last year. You can't just dismiss last year. They were they were trying to win, and for most of last year, they didn't have him. And even when he was on the field, he was mildly disappointing, but yet still better than the average Marlins hitter. You combine the last two years, he's at 30 home runs as a Marlin in 124 games. It's a pretty terrific pace considering where they play their home games. A slash line of 227, 309, 469. So about in terms of weighted runs created plus, I think he's about 15% better than the league average hitter. And for $12 million a year, that was his deal. He's, in the second year of a three years, $36 million deal. We'll talk later episodes about this pending opt-out that he has and what the Marlins should do about it. Um, long story short, I don't, there's not much that they can do because he is playing so well in the second year that the way his contract is structured, this might be his final year with the Marlins, if he even makes it through the year at all. In terms of appreciating him right now, you have to say that this has been a good signing by Kim Ang in the front office. It's been a while since we can really definitively say that about any free agent. This team's track record in free agency has been just egregiously bad. Every time they've tried to spend money, um, you know, we're we're critical about how the Marlins 
have been relatively cheap organization, especially since Bruce Sherman took over. Recently, they have been like gradually getting more and more um, com competitive financially. A little bit, they've been trying more, and yet the, it, those have not yielded the results. A lot of the things that have gone well for this team have not really come down to spending money or more than they used to spend. And this history, it does go back even further than the Bruce Sherman era. You could go to a lot of the Jeffrey Loria era, especially the final half decade or so. And when they tried to spend money, it just did not materially improve the team. And in some cases made them a whole lot worse. So most of the show, I'm just going to be scrolling through this list, courtesy of a uh, Cots baseball contracts of Marlins major league free agent signings in reverse chronological order. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Just going one by one, and you can stop me when you think you see a signing that was better than what the Jorge Soler one has been. Soler being an everyday, middle-of-the-order bat, um, all things considered a slightly above-average everyday player for this team. And even though it doesn't seem like anything to write home about, um, a borderline all-star this year, that is a lot better than they've gotten from any free agent signing in a long time. Just scrolling through these, this past offseason, Gene Segura, Jahani Cueto, both of them abject disasters for different reasons. In the same offseason they signed Soler, they signed Avi Garcia. That has been on the same level of disastrous considering the money that they spent him. Where Remember, Avi got an extra year compared to Soler and a slightly higher average annual value. The previous offseason... With Anthony Bass as an interesting legacy where his Marlins career got off to an awful start in his first appearance and then really his first few weeks just choking away winnable games one after the other after the other. For most of that 2021 season, he was fine. Then in 2022, for up until the Marlins traded him, he was fantastic. That was a two-year, $5 million deal that um, I think all things considered, he made good on that. But as I'll you'll notice as I go through this, I am kind of down on relievers in general and feel that their impact can be somewhat overstated. All when we actually look at how they impact winning overall for a team. So with him, the the inconsistency at the start of that 2021 season, I, I feel that Solaire is already he has and he's certainly on track to be a more impactful player. I'm not really taking value into consideration here in terms of um efficiency of the money spent. I'm just looking at players that actually made the team significantly better during their tenure. So Bass was fine, all things considered. I do have Soler slightly ahead. So this is a perfect list for Cots because they don't have Adam Duvall. And Duvall is an interesting one to look back on. He only spent one year with Mar... Well, not even one year because they traded him at the deadline of his first year. Some similarities to Soler in terms of the run production and the home run power. He had 22 home runs in less than a full season before the Marlins dealt him. And he was a big time run producer. He couldn't get on base, 
but he really pleasantly surprised with his ability to play center field when needed and his overall defense in the corners. Um, even though he didn't get on base, like he just stepped up in important situations. So by win probability added, I guess when it all plays out, he was actually slightly negative in terms of WPA. But in terms of war, he was about a two-win player in four months, not even four months. That was a good signing for the team. I have it a little bit short just because of the lack of tenure. If he had spent that whole 2021 season with the team, then maybe you review it slightly differently. Um, that was a nice hit for the team. But also during, then going back to the previous offseason, Corey Dickerson disappointment. Uh, two bit role players that were both really great in those roles were Brandon Kinsler and Francisco Cervelli. Cervelli had turned out being the last year of his career. He, he just wasn't on the field very much because of the shortened schedule and because of a concussion. When he was on the field, he was awesome. And he was highly regarded for what he did behind the scenes with that team. When it comes to Kinsler, the peripherals were kind of scary during that year when he was the Marlins closer. However, he converted every single save that he attempted to make. There was he was really important for that team that similar to the 2023 team was limited offensively, played a whole lot of close games when they were actually ahead, and they really couldn't afford much margin for error from their high leverage relievers. So Kinsler was great. I, I, because that season was so short, um, you can't wait it the same as the other ones. If it was a full-length season and Kinsler pitched quite like that, then it's another interesting conversation to have. But um, I, I still have Solaire as the better signing overall. So you have, in previous years when the Marlins were in the rebuilding stage, you have some relievers and some veteran part-time position players like Neil Walker and the Cameron Mabin recurrence. Then going back to the Loria era, um, Edison Volquez, he had the no-hitter, but not much else. Janichi Sazawa, well, oh my goodness, enough said. Brad Ziegler finished off his Marlins tenure really well in that second year of his deal. Um, still an unremarkable like leading reliever overall, considering that. So I don't have that in the same discussion. You have other role players. You have the Wei-Yin Chen, $80 million for Wei-Yin Chen to make your pitching staff worse. Yikes. Some other guys that got big deals during the final years of Loria, Michael Morse, Jared Saltalamachia. There were a bunch of guys in here who ended up finishing their solid major league careers as Marlins, Juan Pierre. I think Carlos Marmol, I think that was his final stop. Rafael Fercal, didn't get much out of these guys. Ichiro was fun, um, and I, I, he certainly helped the uh, marketability of the franchise during what ended up being three years with the organization. He just couldn't, overall, he just wasn't getting on base enough at that stage of his career. Um, even when you include all the intangibles, Obvious milestone, 3,000 major league hits that he reached. I, I still don't think it's quite on the same level of Solaire, though it was fun, and I'm glad they went forward with that. Dating back to the very beginning of the Marlins Park era, who else do we have? Reed Johnson and you know, John Roush and Casey Kochman. So then we have interesting ones from that 2011 to 2012 offseason where they splurged on Heath Bell and Mark Burley and Jose Reyes. So Reyes, that first season, and what turned out to be his only season with the Marlins, that was better than Solaire as an overall player. Reyes was still really good. I think he just missed being an all-star that year. And like this few, but 
after that, his few years after he got traded to Toronto, he had some issues with injuries. Overall, just not as valuable a player. Yeah, then he was off the field for a while. He had a domestic violence incident. And if he was actually a Marlin for the length of his contract or for even half of his contract, then maybe that is the better signing than Solaire because it was only one year. Um, I mean, this is a place where it gets debatable. Maybe you say that Reyes was a better player um, than Solaire is right now. I, I couldn't like strongly argue with that because it was only one year though. And because in that one year, the team it was almost around this exact time in 2012 that things started really going downhill for that team. And by the time they reached the trade deadline, they were out of it. Um, yeah, I still would ride with Solaire here. I wanted to point out Javier Vasquez. I don't think people remember exactly how his season went. It was just one year. It turned out to be his final year in the majors in 2011. He was, oh my goodness, he was awful for almost half of the year. And then during the second half of the year, dominant truly dominant in their rotation the problem was those were as was the case with a lot of these seasons that second half is a lot less important because of the team's position in the standings the, the consequences aren't as high for that year overall i would say he slightly exceeded the money um, if only the team was still in the race when he actually turned it on the second half of 2011 uh, there wasn't a whole lot of spending between the previous half decade and the late 2000s because that was the time where Ownership was in the midst. They were obsessed with getting a new ballpark, and they were uh, in as part of that whole process. They didn't spend money on the major league team to try to pressure the city into like giving them ballpark that they wanted. So not not much activity in these late two thousands going on here. You have to find Carlos Delgado entering the two thousand five season, and there's a few in here that we could spotlight entering 05. Delgado, another one just like Reyes. Um, even more so than race. He was good after the Marlins traded him as well. But 2005, 33 home runs. Um, he was like a three-win player, and that's even including bad defense. So if you um, are a little bit higher on his first base skills than Delgado's 05, drove in 115 that year. He hit 300 with an OPS of 981, and he finished sixth in MVP voting in 05. So Delgado, that's another one where it's a really strong case to say that that was a better signing. You just don't get a great feel of it when it's only one year before they traded him to the Mets. And so most of that contract was not with the Marlins. That's what I'm getting at. Todd Jones was signed that same offseason, and Todd Jones was awesome in 2005. This is on the same track where I don't weigh relievers too heavily. That being said, um, that, that was one of the better closing seasons that the Marlins have gotten from anybody ever with Todd Jones in 05. Even pretty late in his career, a 210 ERA. The peripherals back that up. Only allowed two home runs in 73 innings, and he saved 40 games. Very impressive. And we're, but we're almost done here because if you see the title of this episode, you know who I'm getting at. Uh, Armando Benitez. I can double check. I think he was also really outstanding and still might have the team's all-time single season saves record in 04. A 1-2-9 ERA that year with 47 saves. He was an all-star. Uh, the peripherals don't love him as much as they love, say, Todd Jones. He did get 
ultimately he did what's most important. He was unhittable back in 2004. Um, again, only one year in that tenure. He later come back to the Marlins a few years later, but just a one-year deal, so it's harder to appreciate it the same way. With that being said, with Pud Rodriguez, that one-year deal was a stroke of brilliance. The Marlins waited really late into that offseason. The rest of the market was not all that bullish on his future as a catcher into his 30s who had a lot of mileage on him, and he proved everybody wrong. He was the most important individual player on that Marlins team, especially if you include the regular season and the postseason. He caught every inning of that postseason. And just an incredible all-around catcher who's somewhere in the neighborhood of a five wins above replacement, and that's just the regular season. Um, I think that one pretty clearly will top Soler. Even if Soler keeps up his 50 home run pace for this year, it's going to be, um, if he keeps up his pace and he finishes the season with the Marlins, then maybe it's a conversation with Pudge. It goes without saying that that was the uh, one of the most important signings the team has ever had. So we don't have to go back any further than that to find someone that panned out a little bit better, a free agent move that was a little bit more important than what the um what they're doing right now with Solaire. Uh, but that being said, as a whole, this history of free agent signings is um, just not good enough for a team that only is going to spend on a couple key players every single offseason. You need to have a much better hit rate than this. For so many of players that they just were way too late in their careers. I did also want to touch on Luis Castillo. Now, Castillo had already been a Marlin for a long time. So I'm kind of putting this in a different category because he's already on the team and they just signed to keep him after the 03 World Series. And what he did 04 and 05, he continued to be uh, on base percentage in the high 300s. He won gold gloves each of these first two years of this deal. Um, and over uh, as a, in terms of war, I think three and a half each of those next couple seasons. I think you'd have to say that is a little bit more impactful than what Solaire is doing right now. I put in a different category because he was already on the team and he signed this deal relatively early in that offseason when to uh, stay around. So I put it in a different category. But the fact that you have to go back to the mid-2000s and the early 2000s to find deals that are like definitively better than the Solaire one and that there's so few and far between ever since then, um, it just speaks to this organization. And I, I'm always amazed how many people are so loyal and devoted and interested and hopeful about this organization, just giving the terrible decision-making that gets made by a variety of people. So it shows all the way on the YouTube version. You can see in the right column, which of these were Michael Hill, which of these were Kim Ang, which of these were Dan Jennings and Larry Beinfest. Um, yeah, shout out to Larry Beinfest. That was the uh, golden era of Marlins free agent dealing. So Laird putting himself in the conversation, really one of the better free agent signings in recent memory for this team. Absolutely right now, as with the absences simultaneously of Jesus Sanchez and Avisael Garcia and Chaz Chisholm Jr., those were three guys entering the year who were three of the top four projected to be most used in the outfield. Like they were depleted at that position. One reason why they've been able to stay afloat has been Soler going off and also doing it while playing a lot of the outfield. Um, so regard, almost regardless of what happens the rest of this year, I think you have to say this signing 
worked out well. And so we'll give Kim Ang her flowers for that one. That was the deal that was not in love with. Um, and certainly the first year of it was a bummer, and he has made up for it. So shout out to Solaire on that. We're going to finish off talking about some roster situation with the Marlins. As I said, with Sanchez and Avi being out, that's not going to last much longer. By the end of this week, you might have both of them back, and you'll certainly have one of them back. As first reported by Kevin Barrel Brawl, Sanchez is coming back on Tuesday. He's coming back maybe right as you're listening to this, to the Marlins team after a brief rehab assignment. Um, really nice news. Pleasantly surprising how quickly he returned from this hamstring injury. It's only going to be two and a half weeks in total on the IL because of it. Here, courtesy of Roster Resource, we have a look at the 13 position players on the team. So who comes off first in place of Sanchez? And then who's going to come off in place of Avi, who is just starting a rehab assignment of his own? And at the very most, he'll be back within a week and likely even sooner than that. Starting with Sanchez, one, it gives them a left-handed power bat that they have been very sorely missing. Right now, it's lefties on the roster are Arise and Wendell and Xavier Edwards, the three who have combined combined this season to hit one home run. Sanchez sorely needed considering how well he was playing beforehand. And to me, I think this one is fairly clear cut. I would expect Garrett Hampson to be the one squeezed off initially in place of um, Sanchez. Hampson, not necessarily the worst player on this roster. And he had plenty of nice moments in April and even early May. Very quietly, he's come back down to earth and be relatively close to who they thought he was going to be, to be the player that was signed to a minor league deal. Um, because... His offense is limited. He hasn't had an extra base hit in a couple weeks after having a surprisingly high number of them. Um, he, he has found his water. He's not going to hit for power. And he's he runs still very well in the middle of his career. He's still very athletic. It's not translating much to defense. He's being really lowly rated by most of the metrics that we have out there. In terms of defensive runs saved, I think he's a minus four for somebody that's not even playing every day and at this point is only starting about every other day that is alarmingly bad um in terms of outs above average he's at minus three he's a negative two in right field and negative one at second base the versatility is good that he can he's now played four different positions including a couple premium spots and shortstop and center field he's just not playing them exceptionally well he's not somebody that i don't really see him as a valuable pinch hitter really I know he's had a couple of those moments, but is I guess in some situations, he's somebody that could pinch it for Joey Wendell against a certain left-handed pitcher, but that's about it. And I don't know how often those situations are going to come about. The most important factor here is he still has a minor league option, so they can send him down, and he's still around. They can bring up later in the year. Um, his stint on the roster, it's now been he's been here for almost the entire year, almost two months. It's been fine. He's been replacement level overall, but when you adjust for context, I'd say he's been significantly better than that. Like he's helped them win games, and that's great. That's just not predictive of what he's going to do moving forward. He just he doesn't hit the ball hard. He's near the very bottom of the league in hard hit rate. How far down is he? Um, even lower than he was in his rocky season. The twenty five percent hard hit rate. The league average is thirty six. He's twenty five. It's thirty six. 
too limited offensively, I'd say, to stick around, especially because the defensive versatility isn't that valuable right now considering who else they have on the roster when you still have Wendell and Birdie and Xavier Edwards. I think Xavier Edwards is um the better player right now, despite his lack of experience. That's pretty clear cuts me. I'd expect Sanchez back up and Hampson down. So then the question with Avi within the next week is what you do with him. I've said this before, and I'm not going to back down of it. I think Avi should be cut. I don't think, I think he's worse than any of these other players, especially when you adjust for position for somebody that is only going to be in the corner outfield and doesn't really slug. And he certainly doesn't get on base. Um, too many non-productive outs. I don't think he has a place on a team that's actually trying to win. That being said, so I'm going to say that we've actually reached the point in the year with the team's competitiveness and with his extended lack of production as a Marlin that I think you could put a percentage at least at 5% that they DFA him instead of bringing him back. If things, unless he looks miraculous on this rehab assignment, if for whatever reason he looks really bad on this rehab assignment, healthy, but yet not effective like i think there's a there's a little chance that this is it for avi and they don't even bring him back to disrupt this thing um but that means you know we put a very high percentage on the fact that he is healthy now they're going to give him another shot I, I think we've reached a point where certainly his playing time and his role is going to be a lot different than it was i think that's a given at this point they're not going to blindly play him every single day until he actually performs in a limited sample to merit that Assuming he's back on this roster, um, it's tricky. There is not a clear-cut guy other than Hampson that you move off. I mean, the first thing you look at is the minor league options. Edwards, they've sent him down before. He's played really well in a limited sample. Is he hitting in the mid-300s? And he's running really well, putting the ball in play all the time. There's a little good luck there, but the fact that, you know, only four strikeouts and 22 played appearances. Yeah, 381 batting average. 810 OPS for Xavier Edwards in his nine games. I think the challenge for him is that uh, Jazz is not all that far behind from returning himself. And that with Jonathan Davis, he doesn't have any minor league options. They just made a trade to get him, giving up Brady Allen a week ago. And Davis has done taken advantage of that opportunity thus far. So even if you're really skeptical about that continuing with Davis, I think he is safe until Jazz comes back. I think that's when they're going to make an interesting decision on what to do right there. In the meantime, I think Davis is safe. Most of these other veterans can't be sent down anyway. Uh, Brian De La Cruz, who was a little, he's been up and down, but mostly up this year. I, I don't think they're thinking, sweating about that all that much. With Joey Wendell and Gene Segura, both of them highly disappointing. I don't think we're deep enough into the year that they punt on those guys' contracts. Wendell being the more realistic one because he's a pending free agent. With Yuli Gurriel, he's proven me wrong so far. He has been, it looked like he was coming. My prediction was that he'd be a DFA candidate by his birthday in early June. And it looked like he was trending in that direction. Then he has this, this amazing road trip where he helps them win games a ton. Having him and Cooper split time at first base and occasional DH, that has been that's been really successful. So you just do process of elimination. I think Edwards is the one that gets squeezed off within the next week. Um, still a little bit of time before the Avi move gets made. So hopefully X takes advantage of the opportunities that he has between now and then for this team. Those are my general predictions about how this is going to 
play out. Eli Sussman, the official show, Fish on First, wherever you get your podcasts. Our first full week of coverage as this independent outlet is coming right up. New homestand begins. We're going to have our guys at the ballpark every single day. Say hi if you see them over there. Um, it's going to take time to get used to the new name. Uh, if you call us Fish Stripes, we're going to know exactly what you mean. So don't worry about that. We hope to get it, everybody on the same page sooner rather than later. The website is fishonfirst.com, and you can find all the same stuff that we we're already doing at the old place. And you can find the official show here on this podcast every single week with myself and a lot of special guests coming up as well. So stay tuned. We have a very busy week up ahead. And we're fortunate that the Marlins are playing well at a time when we're doing this transition. You guys still want coverage about this team, and we're going to be here to uh, give it to you. The new account is Fish on First. That's all the same Twitter coverage that I've been bringing you for the previous half decade or so on Fish Stripes. Please follow the new account so you can get all your coverage there and be sure to spread the word as best you can so that this transition goes as smoothly as possible. I'm really encouraged by the way that it started out. It's been um, yeah, we're just extremely reinvigorated by this entire move and, uh, just support us the way that you previously were. That'd be immensely appreciated. Fun times covering this Marlins team. Thanks for listening. Go fish. <laughs> <laughs>